listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, come on. We can do better than that. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's lift the roof in here a little bit. We bless your name, oh God. We worship you in this house. We exalt you. You are the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. There's none like you. You alone are holy. You alone are glorious. And we worship you. Amen. All right. If you, if you don't know about it, August 14th is uh, a back-to-school drive we do to minister and serve to underprivileged families in the area around the church. So we will be giving away on the 14th thousands of dollars of backpacks, school supplies. There'll be lines of people. Um, if you'd like to volunteer for that event, event, we can find a place for you. You just need to check in with the team. Uh, send, uh, how do I do this? Uh, <laughs> uh, ask around. We'll connect you with the right people. I don't have time right now to do all that. But we're looking forward to that. It's a privilege of our church to... Uh, give back to our community and serve them in some way as a team as a church as a group of believers we want to be a blessing in our world we want to be a blessing to the neighborhoods around the church can i have a great big amen we're right here in the 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 preschool vacation slump um uh, every year at this time i think i should just leave town everybody else has but i see not all of you have left town. We're glad to have you, and I'm glad you spent all your money earlier in the summer, uh, so now you're broke enough to stay home, and we're gonna be, we can be together and feel sorry for each other. All right, we're in our summer series called Storm Season. Every year this time, we start having storms that become part of the news cycle. They're hurricanes, tornadoes. Uh, Fire storms in California, all manner of storms as the heat in the northern hemisphere reaches its peak destructiveness. And so no better time to learn the spiritual example of storms than right in the middle of storm season. And so I am going to get right into this today. When we started this series two weeks ago, week one, uh, we talked first of all about this truth, adversity is part of life. Can I have a big amen on that one from church folks? Uh, the, thing, the reason why I say that is because sometimes we fall into this habit of thinking, if I just choose an easy, easier way, I won't have adversity. Um, if I just don't try things, I won't have adversity. But I, it's been my experience that there's really no escaping adversity. Whether you go back to school or not, you're going to have adversity. Whether you start the company or not, you're going to have adversity. Whether you adopt the mission or not, you're going to have adversity. The difference is your adversity can have purpose when you choose a purpose that is larger than yourself. So it's a part of life. There's no escape. Secondly, adversity is hard, but God is good. God brings good out of tough times. God brings help in the middle of our uh, emotions of despair. And third, in the first week was simply this. Adversity becomes the battlefield of our faith. We fight for our faith on this, in this arena of, of, of trouble, of storms, of setback. 
And when we overcome doubt and it manifests in our life as faith, that is how God takes trouble and turns it into testimony. The second week we talked about how uh, we rig a ship for the storm, and we were, we've been looking at the lives of Daniel and the Hebrew children and how decisions they made and how they were going to live became a sort of storm rigging for them. The storm could not destroy them because they were correctly rigged for, for the storm. And we talked about character traits that are testimonies in their life. They testify. Good to see you, Natalie. It's been a minute. Anyway, moving along. Uh, testify, testify of their character and their heart, and that is they demonstrate spiritual integrity. They demonstrate spiritual courage. They di- demonstrate spiritual discipline, and they live out real spiritual humility. And so uh, these have all been foundation stones to this, this Sunday here today where our title, our subtitle, I should say, is simply this, Make Me or Break Me. We really find out whether or not the storm is going to break us or the storm is going to make us as we move through the storm itself. Now, Before I get too much further in this, I want to remind you of something you know, you deeply know, uh, but it helps to be reminded of from time to time, and, and that is this. If the storm has broken you, it's certainly not the end of the story. God loves to use broken people. If your troubles have hurt you or injured you and you feel like You're not the whole person you once were, but in the place where there once was this pristine, uninjured heart, now there's kind of a lot of broken pieces there. I want you to know that God loves to use broken people. So if your storms have broken you, you should not believe that because of that, the story of your spiritual Uh, purpose has been ended. I I would suggest the opposite. Often the storms of our life break us and God remakes us. I want you to see this. If you don't see a lot of the things I say or you daydream through half of what I say, I want you to see this. It's not just the storm that's going to make you. Often the storm is going to break you, and it's going to be God who puts you back together. And God's power to heal you is greater than the storm's power to break you. I wish I had some church folks here today to preach with me a little bit. God will make you stronger in the broken places than you ever were before you went through the trial of your life. So let me give a word of encouragement here to somebody today. You thought you were finished and God's saying he's just getting started. You thought it was just about survival and God wants to remind you and say this is still about transformation. It's not over. You are not finished. Your best days are yet to come. God will be with you. God will anoint and strengthen and bless you. And let some church folks say amen. Uh, we, We accept this reality shown to us in the Bible of how God 
allows people to be broken, and out of that brokenness comes real spiritual healing. Uh, we know that. We sing about it. We teach about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you've been around church much at all, you get this. You deeply get this. Uh, but none of us are very excited about it. We're, we're all a little bit unhappy about it, the truth be told. Uh, we don't like the storm. We don't like trouble. Can I have an amen? Uh, we don't like going through it. It's terrifying. I, I heard a story about a, a guy who he was trapped in, he was hitchhiking, he was trapped by a thunderstorm. And what he, he, he's just hoping that someone will come by and pick him up. The rain's pouring on him. It's dark. I uh, can't hardly see the hand in front of his face. And around the corner comes a car and the lights are on and it's going very slowly. So the man thinks he should get in that car because they slowed down for him. And he opens the door and he gets in this car and uh, lightning is booming around him and it's spooky as it can be. And he looks over and he realizes nobody is driving this car. It's like a ghost car. It's moving along very slowly and steadily and no one's in the driver's seat. Well, he was already scared and spooked because of the lightning and the storm and how creepy it all was. And just about that time, he sees a ghostly hand come in through the window and correct the car as it starts to go off the road. And he just, oh, God, save me. And he just sits there trembling. And after a little while, the road turns and that ghostly hand comes in again and steers the car and then goes back out and he sees a little town right close uh, coming out of the darkness, and he jumps out of the car and runs as fast as he can, runs in the first business that opens, and it's a bar, and they turn and look at him, and he's standing there, and he's like saying, help me, help me. They're like, what's wrong? He says, I was driven to town by a ghost. There's a ghost car. Well, they gather him around and try, trying to dry him off and sort him out and, you know, all the stuff that happens of that kind of a thing. And about that time, the door opens again, and two guys come in, and they're just drenched, just drenched head to toe. And one of them nudges the other and says, look, Joe, there's that idiot who rode in our car while we pushed it all the way to town in the rain. Um, it's easy to get scared in the storm. It's easy to be intimidated in the storm. None of us like the storm. Uh, let's get more real than that. A lot of dumb decisions have been made in the middle of storms. In fact, dearly beloved, as I gather you in a most religious manner, there's been some dumb decisions made recently by people in the middle of the storm. And uh, we uh, are aware of this uh, trouble that comes and none of us are happy about it. And uh, we're comfortable with the idea that we're the body of Christ and we want to be. How many of you want to be a part of the body of Christ? That, that means more than just we have a common theology. That means we learn how to be reconciled one to another. Uh, you're different than me and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. A church is always in error when it thinks that everybody in it needs to be some type of a cookie cutter. I'm so thankful that we don't have that kind of a church. We're very diverse ethnically. We're diverse in our politics. We're diverse in our uh, socioeconomic places. Uh, we're very diverse. And uh, that is a compliment to God building the church because that's not the kind of churches that men build. God has to build that kind of a church, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But imagine a church, you know, uh, back to the idea of the body of Christ. We're comfortable, you know, being the body of Christ, at least when we preach and sing about it. But imagine a church where everybody is, you know, using that metaphor. They're all a hand, and 
Uh, they think the only way to please God is to be a hand, and uh, this is wrong. The, the hand needs an arm to connect it to the body. And so the hand needs to be looking for an arm, not looking for a way to tell the arm they're not of God. They need to connect with the arm. Man, that's some fine preaching. Just take your time. Just break it down. Make it plain. Thank you. I will. Um, I want you to see that uh, we're the body of Christ, and uh, we forget sometimes in our zeal that we're the body body of Christ, that uh, we forget sometimes that the body of Christ was broken. Uh, this wasn't just uh, literal fulfillment of justice, so to speak, uh, finish, finishing some divine calculus of justice, uh, some type of, uh, you understand what I'm saying, necessary satisfying of justice in the redemptive story. You know what I mean? It was more than that. It's symbolically important. That's the, the, the lesson of the, uh, the Lord's Supper where they, we take that bread, that that, that unsalted bread, and we say this is the Lord's body that was what? It was what? It was what? It was broken for us, and we all celebrate being the body of Christ, and we forget the body of Christ was broken. The body of Christ uh, gave of itself that we might be made whole. Uh, one of the great authors of the last generation, the great devotional authors of the last generation was Oswald Chambers, and he wrote a book entitled, So Send I You. And he, he said something in it I want to share with you. He says, God can never make me wine if I object to the fingers he uses to crush me. If God would only crush me with his own fingers and say, now, my son, I'm going to make you broken bread and poured out wine in a particular way, and everyone will know what I'm doing. If I could understand the things that are crushing me, that would make it easier. Uh, but he goes on to say, but when, when God uses someone who is not a Christian uh, to crush me, <laughs> that's harder. He says, when God uses somebody I don't like to crush me. Uh, when somebody I don't particularly dislike to crush me or some set of circumstances which I said I would never submit to or that would never happen to me or it humbles me, you, you get the idea. When these objects, these people crush me, I object to this. And Oswald Chamber goes on to say, I must never choose the scene of my own martyrdom. Nor must I choose the things God will use in order to make me broken bread and poured out wine. His own son did not choose. God chose for his son that he should have a devil in his company for three years. We want to say, I want angels. I want people better than myself. I want everything to be significantly from God. Otherwise, I cannot live the life or do the thing properly. I always want to be guilt-edged. He goes on to say, let God do what he likes. If we're ever going to be spiritual wine that is drunk or, um, you know, that wine that is given as the presence of God, we must be crushed. Grapes cannot be drunk. They must be crushed. And so it is. Olives are crushed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of the crushing of, of the olives. That is where Jesus goes. That is where he pours out his heart, says, not my will, thy will be done. God can use your brokenness. I'm not trying to be negative here today. I'm not trying to make you sad. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you to have the courage to look at your trouble and say, I don't know how you can use this, God, but I give it to you to however you can use 
I don't know how you can use me. I don't feel very, very worthy or very, very capable. But Lord, uh, if I am in your hand, then do with me as you would. As long as out of it all comes something that blesses your kingdom, blesses your people. And can some church folks say amen? So you see this in the lives of Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Uh, the storm they are in is not just them. It, it's much bigger than them. It, it's overwhelming. Their whole world has, in many ways, come to an end. Their nation has been destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. We talked about that some last week. Um, they, they have been taken out of their comfortable family units and groups, and they've been brought into the king's house as um, favored slaves, but nonetheless not able to live a life of their own choosing and will, but placed in duty and obligation. And they are living through this storm that has destroyed them, dispersed them. And they have to find a way to be used of God in the middle of the storm, not wait for perfect selling in order to be useful to the kingdom of God. God will use everything they're going through to make them into who they can be for his kingdom. I'm reading Daniel 1, chapter number, chapter number 1, verse number 4. King Nebuchadnezzar commanded, select young men and make sure they are well-versed in every branch of, li- of learning. Teach these young men all the language and all the literature of the Babylonians, full stop, period. Uh, there is a natural desire, if you are a religious sort, to have an argument with God at this very moment. Uh, We don't want to see these young men uh, spending their time learning the language and the literature, the wisdom and the teaching of the Babylonians. Why don't we want that? Because it was Babylon that destroyed uh, the house of God. And there's some part of us that wants to argue with God and say, no, no, Lord, this is not the way. Uh, You're obviously making a mistake here by making these devout young men study the methods, the knowledge, the language, the literature of the Babylonians. Don't you know these Babylonians uh, destroyed uh, your armies on the battlefield, Lord? Don't you know that these... These, this, this empire destroyed the city of Jerusalem, Lord, or uh, surely you're making a mistake. It seems to me more like the right thing to do would be to, to escape and go hide a closet in a closet somewhere and give ourselves to the study of your word, not learn the language of, in the literature of Babylon. It would be the right thing for us to do to, to, to hide, as it were, and spend time in small cloisters and small closets of self-perfection. Uh, you want us in the middle of this storm to learn the storm. You want us to embrace the wind. You want us to excel at the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The Lord would answer these young men and their critics back by saying this. Babylon is not just a storm to break you. Babylon is a storm to make you. You see, if these young men fall into this mistaken idea that they are God's purpose, they will turn inward and they will no longer have an influence relationship with their society. They will have a purity relationship with their society and they will come to believe that isolation is the only way to please God because they come to believe that purity is their purpose and purity is not their purpose. Purity is their worship unto 
the Lord. The purpose is the very empire in which they have been placed because God is going to use this empire to rebuild what the empire destroyed. I want to tell you God's ways are far above our ways. And God can use the very thing that's killing you right now to bring new life into your spiritual purpose and your spiritual calling. And so... Uh, these young men are placed in a empire, and their purpose is to be a witness to the empire and larger a witness to the generations that God can keep you if you want to be kept. And it won't just be survival for you. It will be transformation for you. You won't just stagger through your troubles. You're going to fly above your troubles until pretty soon the name of the Lord will be glorified in the very empire that tried to destroy the kingdom of God. You'll find this theme over and over in the Bible and over and over in uh, the history of the church, and that is the kingdom that tries to destroy the church is ultimately transformed by the church it tried to destroy, and soon that same empire, having tried to destroy the church, is influenced and ultimately transformed by the church it once tried to to destroy. This isn't just an idea for the church. This is an idea that is encapsulated in the life of Jesus Christ himself. Had the princes of this world known that this man Jesus was going to save the world, they certainly wouldn't have been willing to kill him to, to speed up that salvation. They would not have crucified him had they known. But God's in the business not just of surviving, he's in the business of transforming. You know what God wants to do in this city? Well, let me just say this. A temptation in every church everywhere is to have contempt for the world in which you're placed. And you'll notice the moment you do that, you lose influence with it. The moment you dislike them, you no longer have influence with them. Reminder, the church doesn't have to be like sinners in order to reach them, but the church has to like sinners. I said we don't have to be like sinners, but we do have to like them. <laughs> so we have to be careful about this hate budget that's real popular in the Christian world right now where we've got politics mixed up, mixed up with the gospel. The gospel is not about your politics. Now, you're welcome to your politics. I'm not against your politics. You ought to have your politics and you ought to vote. But don't get the gospel mixed up with your politics. There is a truth greater than our politics of this generation. Let me remind you, I have politics too, but you'll notice I don't put them out there. I have opinions too, but I don't put them out there. Why? Because there's a thousand truths I am willing to ignore in order to promote one great truth, and that is Jesus Christ who takes away our sins. That's my truth. All right, moving on. The Bible says, Daniel 1, verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual, somebody say unusual. That means they were ninjas, straight up ninjas. Uh, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning the literature and science of that time. Critics don't like this at all. God's obviously making a mistake. They don't need to learn the science and literature of the time. They just need to, you know, study what they have been given that is of a spiritual nature. It's easy for us to think 
that uh, we are supposed to, in some ways, have all our, as it were, success and energy in uh, religious settings, and we shouldn't believe that we can be good at careers or good at business or good at education. Uh, now, you know that's not the culture here at First Church. Most of our leaders have higher education of some type, and I want you to know that's not our culture, but there is, there is a subculture who acts as though if you're really religious, you can't be good at anything else. I want to stop that. I want to tell you God can give you an unusual aptitude for whatever you are in, so much so that your very place becomes a testimony of God's power within you. They have an unusual aptitude. In other words, straight ninjas, okay? That's how they are. And now I want to show you something else. This is verse 17, same chapter, when the three-year training uh, was completed the chief official brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with each of them, and none impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the songs you sing in Sunday school? Hopefully you had that experience. If you didn't, you can go to heaven too. It's just harder. <laughs> so they, they were appointed to his regular staff. Now, they go from first interview to being regular staff. Now, most institutions don't work that way. I don't know if you've been exposed to many institutions, but most people don't go from first interview to chief advisors very quickly, but that's the talent of these young men. Notice what the Bible says, in all manner, in all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment. Parents, next time you're griping at your children, you tell them this, what I need from you is wisdom and balanced judgment. I don't know if that'll go over well, but it's worth trying. I'm going to try it. The king found the advice of these young men to be 10 times better. I told you, straight ninjas. That is what you are seeing right here. Their advice is 10 times better than that of all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Now, having, having seen, I want to remind all of you, that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In fact, be spiritual about it and claim the blessing of Daniel in your life. You say, what's that? Well, I'm going to make it up for you here right now. God, I want to be 10 times better than my competition. And I need you to help me to see the circumstances so I can be 10 times better. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, I just might as well give up preaching because 10 times better, is uh, that, that's significant. That's an order of magnitude, my sister, my brother. Now, that is what they were manifesting 10 times better. Now, uh, to these young men who have risen so fast, they have been elevated they have been given favor. Uh, they have demonstrated wisdom. They have demonstrated knowledge. They see what needs to be understood. Uh, you know, to have knowledge, you have to study, but ha to have wisdom, you have to, you have to see, you have to observe. Wisdom comes from seeing. Knowledge comes from study. Um, and so this wisdom, they, they have it, man. They are, they are gifted of God. Now, let me think for a moment with you on why they may have that kind of knowledge. A few years back, I did a series on Proverbs, and one of the things I iterated over and over in that was that Solomon had written these Proverbs to the young men in the noble families of Israel, and it was part 
uh, of the court of the is of, of of Jewish life, of the noble courts, as it were, of Jewish life. And so, young men, we know from Daniel one that these young men were uh, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they were noble young men from Israel of great talent and ability. What would they have grown up learning? Well, in the very, base, the very basic, they would have grown up literate. Why? Because the first accomplishment of universal literacy in any society is in the history of the Jews, where as far back as the giving of the law in the Old Testament, uh, 20 20, uh, century, uh, 20 centuries before uh, the birth of Christ, uh, the children of Israel are being taught to write and read as part of worship. The first universally literate culture was uh, Jewish culture because it was a part of worship all the way back in the giving of the law. And so they would have grown up with that. They would have grown up with the Hebrew scriptures. Maybe not all of them as we have them now, but they would have grown up uh, with those Hebrew scriptures and additionally... As noble young men, they would have grown up studying the writings of Solomon, which were written for the noble, the young nobles of Israel. So I want to show you four things, actually five things that they do to help them turn the storm from that which would break them into something that makes them 10 times better than everyone else. The first thing is they decide in advance to stand for God. They decide before the storm ever came to stand for God. They have already made up their mind. Now, let me give you some examples of of how these uh, teachings of uh, Solomon have benefited them. We've learned how they know more. They better advice, more knowledge, more wisdom. Ten times better, they are demonstrating Uh, Think of scriptures like Proverbs 19 and verse number 8. This is wisdom they've grown up with. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you learn and you will prosper. That's some good wisdom right there. How about this? Chapter 4, verse 13, Proverbs. Always remember what you have learned. Your education is your life, so guard it well. How about Proverbs 24 and 5? Wisdom brings strength. And knowledge gives power. This is how these young men have grown up. Now, in the storm, they have already been prepared to demonstrate how God uses the energy of the storm to accomplish spiritual purpose. They make up in their mind in advance to stand for God. Verse number 8, chapter 1, Daniel. Daniel made up his mind not to defile his self. He has already made up his mind not to defile himself. He grew up reading scriptures like Proverbs 1, verse number 7. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. Everyone else was doing whatever they do, and that's the kind of word that Daniel is putting in his heart. How about Proverbs 15, verse number 33? Reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. How about Proverbs 2, verse number 6 and 7? All wisdom comes from the Lord, and so do common sense and understanding. 
smile at your neighbor, say, some, I think you could use a little more common sense. Now smile at someone else, say, I've already given up on you. <laughs> All wisdom comes from God, so does common sense and understanding. God gives helpful advice to everyone who obeys him and protects all of those who live as they should. How do you turn the storm that's trying to break you into a construction project that is making you? Decide from the very beginning, I'm going to stand for God. This world is not going to destroy me. My heart is not going to be swayed. I will stand for God. The second thing you see them do in their life, these young men who are going to survive their storm and use the energy of it to transform their people and transform an empire, is they commit to never stop learning. One thing you'll notice is the trajectory of their life. They're not like the kind of person who springs up and has early success and then is defeated by time as their nature is finally revealed. One of the interesting things about the life of Daniel is how many different uh, kings that he serves under. Uh, if you think Nebuchadnezzar just as one, remember that uh, that's a title that is used by multiple kings, and Daniel serves many of them. His life and ministry will encompass the rise of various different factions, the churn of various different empires, and through it all, somebody say through it all, that's what God needs you to do is have some spiritual success through it all, not just fall apart with every wind of trouble and storm that shows up on your horizon. I just gave that to you for free. I'm not going to charge you for that. Through it all, Daniel is able to rise to spiritual significance and uh, purpose and importance. How does he do that? He never stops learning. He never stops growing. You see him change. You see him adapt. He is not rigid. He's not insecure. He knows what he knows. And he is able to see how no matter what trouble comes, whether he's leading an empire or whether he's stuck in a lion's den, uh, God's in charge and God's going to bring him through it all. This is Proverbs 18, verse 15. These are the scriptures that these noble young men grow up memorizing. Wise men and women are always learning, always listening for fresh insights. These young men would have grown up reading scriptures like Proverbs 19 and 8. Those who get wisdom do themselves a favor, and those who love learning will succeed. When you've been formed by truth like that, the change of seasons and the rise of political uh, empires and the change of leadership, you don't fall apart. You don't lose your way. You're able to be strong in your God-given place and value. This principle is not just for them. It's for us here today. This is why Paul gives us as apostolic principle this truth. 2 Timothy 2 verse number 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Now, let me just get real here for a moment. A lot of people quote the scripture and they stop with the approved. Study to show yourself approved and they stop. 
as though it's your boss who's going to approve of you when you study. Study to show yourself approved and they stop as though it's your career and your bank account that uh, is going to approve of your study. I want you to know it will approve of your study. But moving along, your call is not to serve these things. Uh, You study so you can be approved unto God. You see, God's going to take every investment you make and use it as a tool in his hand. So don't bury your talent. God's going to take every door you walk through and use it for his kingdom. Don't bury your talent. Never stop learning. Number three, the third attribute you see uh, these young men use to turn the energy of the storm the destruction of the storm into a construction project to make them who they should be in God is you see this principle in their life, Uh, this deep immersion in the word of God, this deep connection to uh, the word of God. Out of this experience of the exile, the whole of the the, the Jewish people, I should say, are going to found themselves upon a systematic study of the Word of God that in many ways is unprecedented in any other human culture, where everything they do is founded upon Torah, their education is founded upon it, their, their, their gathering is founded upon it, their community is founded upon it, uh, in a way that is stronger than they ever did when they uh, had uh, kings of Old Testament uh, and judges of Old Testament in, in a manner that can only happen when you have to love it above everything else. Out of this exile is going to come this, this rabbinical tradition, this, this synagogue tradition where they come together to value and love the word of God. This is what is in the heart of people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are, we must, I should say, steep ourselves in the word of God. Joshua 1, verse number 8, study God's word continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be sure to obey all that's written in it. If you do, you will be prosperous and uh, successful. You will be prosperous and successful. Let me just take a moment here in my attempt to encourage all of us uh, to focus upon the Word of God. Uh, Let's all be reminded that we are shaped and formed by that which we focus upon. You guys have heard me preach this a lot. You've heard me teach this a lot. Um, your, Your habits are perfectly, perfectly shaped to produce the person you are right now. And if you don't like who you are, you need to change your habits because they are producing you just as you are. Yesterday on YouTube, I was watching a show about one of the canyons, Great Canyons in uh, Southern Africa. They call it the largest green canyon in the world because the two canyons that are bigger, they're both desert canyons. But this is a green jungle canyon. And um, they showed some video of some of the way where the river, the river cut that's in the middle of it. All canyons are formed by rivers, as you know, that cuts through the middle of it. And uh, there's areas where they have these, uh, they call them potholes. And what it is is the river will be going along, and then there's this huge round hole in sandstone rock. And it's almost as though the river disappears in this hole and comes out lower down a cliff. And uh, they explain how this happens. And it's actually formed some by the water, but it's mostly formed by what the water carries. And 
uh, whenever the river is coming and it builds up and creates a whirlpool, it will trap a sediment and it will trap uh, stones and pebbles. And it spins those stones and pebbles in a circle. And that circle of spinning rock forms over long, long years, forms almost like a borehole that will go down in the rock and it'll get trapped again lower and it may get trapped against the side and that same borehole uh, will begin pushing against the side as long as it's trapping current. Whenever the current goes another direction, the, the boring stops through the rock. But as long as it's taking those rocks and grinding it, it's boring a hole in the sandstone. And you will see areas where the river disappears in a borehole and comes out lower down, down a cliff. It is being shaped by that stone that is grinding on it. What are you focusing on? I'm here to tell you what you focus on is what is producing your character. What I focus on is what is producing my character. My character is producing my decisions. And the sad reality is oftentimes we focus on things without thinking about it. The question is, is it entertaining rather than does it help me? Is it representing what I want to be? If you can control your focus, your life will follow your eyes. Therefore, I want to steep myself in the word of God. Uh, Psalms 119, 104, your commandments give me great understanding. It's no wonder I can see and hate every false way of life. Remember, we don't hate people, we hate lies. <laughs> and uh, his, his wisdom gives us insight to the great lies of life. Uh, Proverbs 15 and 14, I love this in the NLT. A wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. A wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. We are shaped by what we focus on. All right, enough of that now that I've got you discouraged. Number four, Daniel and the three Hebrew children are intentional about doing life together. They are intentional about connecting together. They are intentional about influencing one another. In the same manner, we need to connect with people who share our spiritual purpose and share our spiritual values. Can I have an amen from church folks? We need to connect with people who share our spiritual purpose and our spiritual values. This is something we talk about in our, our first steps uh, class, uh, second, second lesson, because we're trying to explain people why we believe in the local church, despite all the flaws of the local church, why we believe in it. We talk about how uh, as the people of faith, we come together, that we reassure, strengthen, renew, and encourage one another, and then we go out into a world to influence it toward the kingdom of God. The church people are not our purpose, but they are our strength. We come together, and we encourage one another, and then we go out again and influence. This is exactly what the New Testament church did. They came together on Sundays, they worshiped together, they grew together, they encouraged one another, and what did they do during the week? They went out house to house, and then 
What did they do? They came back together. This is like the beating of God's heart, you know. Diastolic, we come together, we're refreshed, we're renewed, and then systolic, we're sent back out into our purpose. I want to say this to you. Your brothers and sisters in the church are not your purpose. Your call and your mission field is your purpose. But you can't work in your mission field if you don't join together with your brothers and sisters who share your purpose and share your value. That's why God put you in a church. You need to be connected. If you're a hand, you need to be connected to an arm. If you're an arm, you need to be connected to a shoulder. If you're, you get the idea, I need you and you need me. There's people in my life, I can't be what they need, but if I can bring them here, uh, they share a hobby with you. They have something in, in common with you and together we make a difference. Uh, oh, hallelujah, somebody. I said hallelujah, somebody. We need one another. Did I read 1 Corinthians 15 and 33? Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. (laughs) We need to connect with people who share our spiritual purpose. How about Ecclesiastes 10 and 3? This is something they would have grown up studying. Fools show their stupidity by the way they live. It's easy to see they have no sense. If you're sitting close to somebody, you can say, I think that scripture's for you, my brother. I think that scripture's for you, my sister. <laughs> just having fun, just having fun. Psalms 1, chapter 1, verse number 1. I'm going to read it in a different translation that you're not used to hearing it in, so you'll have fresh ears. The happiest people, the ones God blesses, don't walk around with those who suggest doing wrong, don't stand with those who like to sin, and don't sit around with cynics who deny God. Yes, you have a mission field, but you're supposed to affect that mission field more than it affects you. And how about some New Testament reminders of this truth? Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and even more as we see the end of days approaching. Amen. Musicians, you can, you can come play. Play something encouraging for these poor people. I have uh, got all discouraged here today. Number five. So let's review really quick. Number one, uh, decide in advance you're going to stand for God. I don't know what you're going to go through, but will you decide today you're going to stand for God? I hope you have a year filled with health, but will you decide today that you're going to stand for God no matter what comes? You're not always holding God in judgment to see if he's good enough for you to hang around. Save yourself from that. That is the Lucifer path. Don't don't fall into judging God. Uh, I've already made up in my mind. I I hope that this year I have enough money to pay my rent. uh, But uh, even if I don't, I want to say this. I've already made up my mind I'm serving God. I hope everything works out fine. But if it doesn't, I just want you to know I've already made up in my mind I'm, I'm serving God. In the last two years, I've talked to some of our pastoral staff who are going through big things. I won't say their names because, you know, their name is Nunya, uh, Nunya Business. And um, um, <laughs> I've talked to them in difficult times, and I've had at least two of them uh, facing just heartbreaking circumstances. And I checked on them to make sure their soul is right because, you know, pastors need to be pastored too, including this one. Uh, you should beware a pastor who doesn't have a pastor. That could be a dangerous circumstance. We're all accountable. Can I have an amen? And so um, I, I ask him, checking on their soul, and I, I've seen them in the middle of sorrow say, oh, I'm going to serve God. That, that, that's not even on the table. 
that's not even on the table. This may be on the table, but I want to know right now, that's not on the table. I may have my heart broken, but God's not on the table. I settled that a long time ago. I may be sick in my body, but I want you to know right now, God's not on the table. My health might be on the table, but I made up my mind a long time ago, somebody. I'm going all the way. Number two, never stop learning. It's a way of investing in God's gift to you. God gave it to you to do something with. God gave it to you to do something with. He could have kept the talent, but he gave it to you to do something with. And if you don't do anything with it, it's going to be really hacked off about it. And he's going to have words with you. And you're going to have what's called a come to Jesus meeting. Because you buried your talent. Continue investing in God's investment in you. And if you're not creative, connect with somebody who is. I'm about to give you some Bible. I can tell right now y'all need a little Bible study. Remember the talents? There's this one guy, he does nothing with it. What does the Lord say to him? He says, you unfaithful servant, the least you could have done is wouldn't give it to the bankers. You say, I'm not creative. I'm not, I can't do anything, I'm not creative. I never had any good ideas. Okay, we'll connect with someone who is. At least give your talent to somebody who's gonna try something. Well, I, last thing I did, I'm telling you, this is this truth that these young men show to us. Never stop learning, never stop investing. Number three, focus on the word of God. Steep yourself in the word of God. We're shaped by what we're, we focus on. The word of God should be like a potter's will in our life. And it touches and it changes. As all the chaos of life spins around us, we are molded by the word of God. Connect with people who share your spiritual values and your spiritual purpose. Remember, uh, they too are going to be part of the purposes of God, but it's an error for you to uh, just to go into a closet with two, two or three of them and y'all say, oh, we're called just to perfect one another. No, you weren't. You were placed to manifest the heart of God to a kingdom filled of people who've never met God. You use each other for encouragement. You use each other for ministerial purpose. But your purpose is the place in which God has put you. All right, moving along. And number five, this is the ultimate reminder uh, that we have in all of our lives. And that is, it's not the world in which we live that is our rewarder. It's not the job you work in that is your rewarder. It's not the generation you live in that is the rewarder. I want you to see all of these things are going to pass away. It's not Babylon that is the rewarder. It is God who is the rewarder. That's why Jesus can say, and uh, like the rest of you, I, I don't, I'm not always excited to read this scripture, but it's ever so true. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you. Smile at your neighbor and say, can I bless you? You don't know what I mean, do you? Blessed are you when people insult you. Can I bless you? We don't think that way at all, do we? No, you insult me, I insult you back. You slap me, I slap you twice. You cuss me, I know better words. You make up stories about me, I make up stories about you. This is the way of the flesh. This is not the kingdom of heaven. We have to change the way we think about all this stuff. Otherwise, how, how are we different than the heathen? We're just another religious group. We're not manifesting the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is not religion. It's something beyond religion. 
Religion is just the various method, uh, methods by which people have organized themselves to try to reach for the heart of Christ. We're not reaching for religion. We're reaching for the heart of Christ. And can some church folks say amen? <laughs> Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, I have, I, you know, I've been very blessed in my life. <laughs> that was funny to me and y'all didn't laugh. I don't care. I've had lots of people say all kinds of evil against me. Not all of it has been because of Jesus, I have to admit. Some of it's just, you know, life. But um, we need to remind ourselves that God is the rewarder. It's not our career. You can be very blessed in your career and not see it as the reward. It's not your portfolio. Some of you have so much in your 401k, it's turned into a 1401k. I'm happy for you. God bless you. Well done. I like it. Support the kingdom of God. I like it. But this is what I want to say to you. Uh, that's not the rewarder. All that stuff's going to perish. God is the rewarder. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is a continual theme of this in Scripture. God is going to bless me because the world doesn't know how. God is going to reward me because the world doesn't have anything I really, really want. God's going to reward me because He knows the callings, the giftings, the purposes in the earth. And I, I want to just end with this. And this is from the Christian author Richard Rohr. Uh, so good, so, so good. If we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit our pain. So in your storm, yes, you're tired. Yes, you're weary. Yes, there's disappointment. Yes, there's wounds of enemies and wounds of friends. And in my experience, it's easier to overcome the wounds of enemies because you knew they were out to get you. You just didn't know your neighbor was. You had to figure that out. And uh, it causes pain. But if you don't transform that pain, you will transmit that pain. And it will shape the people in your world negatively that you were trying to shape positively. You must transform that pain or you transmit that pain. Out of the transmission of pain comes dysfunctional families, dysfunctional relationships, dysfunctional churches, dysfunctional pastoral staffs. Instead of transforming pain, they're now transmitting pain. I've heard people create whole doctrines because they were trying to overcome pain. I've seen people do amazing things that were under no way, under no reasonable argument is what God intended for them because of pain. We are in the storm, but God is going to use the energy of the storm not simply to break us, but he's going to use it to make us. So let God turn your storm into a construction project. What hell meant to kill, God is going to use to bring eternal life. And this principle is so true that you see it over and over and over in the scripture. That's what they did to Jesus. They thought they could kill him, but what they didn't know was the storm actually would bring hope for all. Because what the enemy meant to destroy, God uses to construct. God didn't send your trouble to break you. He sent it to make you. I'm preaching to somebody here today who needs to receive this in Jesus' name. You need to change the way you're talking in the middle of your storm. 
you've been saying all the wrong things to your storm. You need to start speaking life to your storm. You need to start speaking promise to your storm. You need to start looking for Jesus in the storm and say with the disciples, man, I think there's a spirit walking toward me. And it will be the spirit of God walking toward you. And you say, Jesus, if that's you in the middle of my storm, in the middle of my pain, you might be surprised to learn that Jesus will visit you in the middle of your storm. In fact, he might even invite you to walk on the storm right beside Stand with me all across the house. We're going to turn this whole place into a a prayer and a worship uh, service right now. If you have a need, I would like you to lift your heart heavenward, focus your attention heavenward, and specifically ask God to meet that need in your life. If you're standing by someone and they know that need in your life, why don't you just agree with them right now? Maybe turn, particularly if you're with your family, if there's something you want to agree on with them, just turn to them and agree together with them. We're going to pray right now. We're going to join our faith together in this specific circumstance. I uh, am going to be praying for those of you who have been uh, defeated in your storm and you're discouraged in your storm and you feel like there's only destruction in your storm. I want you to be awakened today to the fact that God already weighed the storm and he knows you can make it. God already weighed the trouble and he knows you can overcome it with his power. We're going to turn this whole house into a prayer session right now. Those of you who want to step out, step out and come down to the front. We'll have some pastors down here. If you want to stay where you are, that's fine. I'm not going to fight with you over that at all. But we're going to turn this whole house. Our worship team is going to lead us deeper into worship. If you need to go at any time, you can be dismissed. Thank you for worshiping with us. Remember first steps. Let's turn this whole house into a a praise and a worship, a place of faith, a place of hope. Would you pray with me right now all across this house, Lord Jesus? We stand together in your presence and we acknowledge that we need you working on our behalf. We acknowledge that without you protecting us, the storm will destroy us. We recognize that without you guiding us, we will be lost in our troubles. But Lord, I'm praying for the person here today who they have been filled with despair and discouragement. They feel like giving up, not God. Uh, let them let them see faith in the middle of this trial. Let them see hope in the middle of this storm. Let them know that there is new life for them. If they will just call out to you, if they just will trust your promise, if they just will submit to your anointing, if they will just stop trying to steer their own ship and allow you to put your hand on their hands and guide their decisions. Oh God, I need that. Everybody here, I believe would confess they need that. Work among your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.